Hello, I'm Paulette Lee, and you're listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. If you're over 60, you're still worthy of being heard. As you're undoubtedly aware, March is International Women's History Month, and March 8th was, in the case of this podcast, International Women's Day. The day is typically observed by protests worldwide, and this year was no exception as women marched and acted and wrote and spoke out, demanding equality for half the planet's population, as they do every year. I'll come back to the issue of women's rights and feminism, especially as we age. But first, the theme for Women's History Month this year, 2023, is celebrating women who tell our stories. So here is mine. I've always been a feminist, at least from the time I'd heard the term, which probably was in the early 70s when I was in my 20s, with the advent of women's liberation. If you know of Ms. Magazine, which debuted in 1972, you know about the click or aha moment, the time you realized you weren't being treated equally as a human being. Mine was in my bedroom when I was, oh, I don't know, I think 14 or 15. My mother, who had a very traditional attitude toward relationships between men and women and boys and girls, was advising me that in order to be attractive to boys, I should talk about their interests, appeal to their ego, she advised. I distinctly remember that after she left my room, I stood in front of my closet mirror, stared at my reflection, and asked out loud, what about my ego? The 70s were an era of non-traditional jobs. For example, in my field, broadcast news, women camera operators, not camera men. But when I started at NBC TV News in Los Angeles, I was the only woman there, except for the newsroom secretaries, one network woman reporter, I was working for local news and she happened to be black, and the local weather girl, that's what she was called, Kelly Lang, who went on to become the first woman to be a nightly news TV anchor in Los Angeles. I was NBC News' first female editorial assistant, or EA, the TV newsroom's copy girl. And for my 25th birthday in 1971, the staff gave me a women's lib-themed party, emceed by then star news anchor Tom Snyder. It included a cake, the gift of a sergeant's hat, and lots of women lib jokes. At that time, women's lib was, for some, synonymous with wanting to be tough and in charge and maybe even masculine. For me, though, it was never about hating men or wanting to be one or even wanting to be in charge or tough. It was always about women having equal treatment, choices, and opportunities as men had. It was always about women being considered just as human, no more no less as men, and vice versa. As an EA, it was part of our job to rip the wires. Obviously, this was pre-computers. Tear off the long rolls of newsprint that came through from Associated Press, UPI, Reuters, and local wire services uh, that came spewing out in multiple copies from the ticking and clacking machines. One day I saw that a woman had waged a federal court battle 
against a railroad demanding the same overtime as the men received. Now, at the time, federal law limited women to working a maximum of eight hours a week overtime. I think that was the number. While the men could work limitless hours. Thus, they could live on their overtime and pocket their salaries, which many did. I, however, could not because I was being protected by discriminatory laws. But the defendant in this case had prevailed, so the practice would soon have to change. Newswire copy in hand, I went to the news manager and showed it to him. So, Ed, I asked, are you going to assign me more overtime, or, or do I need to go to the personnel office? I got the overtime. While it appeared that the prospects of my going on air and TV were dim, I didn't have the look, I changed directions and decided to move to radio where I thought my chances for on-air work would be better. I started as a news writer at a major station and then uh, pushed to be on air, but the program manager kept saying women aren't credible on air. Eventually, with the support of the news director, I did become an on-air reporter and then Los Angeles' first female radio news anchor. And then I won a prestigious award for investigative journalism. At the awards ceremony, as I walked up to receive mine, I passed by the program manager, leaned over and whispered in his ear, still think women aren't credible on air? Well, that's my feminist story, or at least some of it. And, and I'd love to know about yours, which you can share on the Woman Worthy Facebook page or in the comments section of the podcast app where you're listening. For me, the 70s was a heady time to be a feminist. But while battles were fought and won, and I'm proud to have been engaged in some of them, the war is still far from over. In fact, last week, the week of International Women's Day 2023, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres noted that women's rights are, quote, abused, threatened, and violated around the world, unquote. And it was his prediction that at the current rate of change, gender equality would not be achieved for 300 years. By the way, I'll also post the history of the women's rights movement from the United Nations Global Perspective on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. 20th century feminist movement leader, the late Betty Friedan, author of The Feminine Mystique, published The Second Wave in 1981 when she was 60 years old. In that book, she contended that the first stage, as discussed in her 1963 book, The Feminine Mystique, was freeing women from their stereotypic roles as mothers and housewives, though many would say that the first wave was actually women's suffrage. Friedan's second wave focused on the oppression of and discrimination against women in the workplace, having to do double duty at work and in, in the home, and the need to recognize the social and economic value of traditional female occupations, even as women were pursuing non-traditional occupations. Indeed, today our feminist heroes, heroines, can we still use that word, are leaders in government, the arts, science, and business. But men, patriarchy, are fighting back. 
men are frightened that they're losing the power that women are gaining. And in so many respects, women's rights are decreasing. We see it not only in Afghanistan and Iran, but around the world, including in the U.S. Women fighting back still and again for everything from the right to make decisions about their own bodies and reproductive systems, to the right to an education, to work, to even decide what last name they can use. When we look at discriminatory laws and policies, we typically see that the victims are girls and women in their school age, childbearing, family raising, and income generating years. But now, what does feminism mean to those of us who are beyond those years? Does it mean anything to us specifically, we who are the older generation? In a paper published in the October 2017 edition of Adult Development and Aging News, researcher Lisa Sawyer Hollis, PhD, writes that the, quote, unprecedented increase in the number of aging women necessitates a deeper understanding of their unique social situations and needs based upon a lifetime of social inequities and social pressures, unquote. Sawyer Hollis advocates for including aging in academia's feminist theory approach to understanding societal issues. Feminist theory argues that women have been systematically marginalized, she writes, in terms of their economic status, social resources, employment opportunities, and social power. And she cites her sources. Continuing to quote, these beliefs have propelled the feminist movement to advocate for equal social opportunities for women regardless of disability, race, ethnicity, cultural background, social economic status, education, and or sexual orientation in many different contexts, for example, the workplace. It may be argued, however, that one of the largest growing social issues associated with women is related to their later life experiences. The aging of women needs to be more explicitly recognized as a transnational feminist issue deserving advocacy initiatives on a global basis, end quote. So I would translate this to say, perhaps more simply, that we as older women have aged differently than men because our social evolution has been different from that of men precisely because of misogynistic attitudes and public policies. In short, I would argue that because we have overcome or perhaps accommodated barriers to equal treatment choices and opportunities that men had, we have a different perspective on aging and indeed for many have different needs. In some situations, this gender inequality or these differences have been to our benefit. For example, too proud to go to doctors or too reluctant to admit vulnerability, aging men tend to be less healthy than women, one reason why they die sooner. On the other hand, gender inequality definitely has been a detriment to many aging women, particularly in the area of finances, whether it's our lack of exposure to handling money or simply the lack of money, often referred to in feminist theory as the feminization of poverty. 
Another aspect of feminism as we age, whereas once we decried being treated as sex objects, the ensuing generations have not only embraced their sexuality, but revel in flaunting it. Is that a step forward or backward for those of us who were feminists? There is, in fact, a relatively new medical social science field called feminist gerontology, which defined in the abstract of a paper published in Gerontology and Geriatrics Education is, quote, grounded in feminist theory and critical gerontology, focusing on power relations and intersecting oppressions across the life course. Analyses that incorporate a feminist perspective broaden our understanding of aging, moving beyond a singular focus on gender to a broader focus on multiple aspects of diversity, including privilege, inequality, and interdependence." Unquote. In a nod to the international aspect of feminism, an interesting paper on feminist gerontology comes out of the Department of Psychology of the University of Córdoba, Spain, reprinted in the Journal of Women and Aging. The conclusion to the paper reads in part, quote, one of the objectives of critical feminist gerontology is to seek out and display affirmative images of older women without denying the reality of the losses and changes that accompany the aging process. It is important to draw up conceptualizations that oppose the notion that old age is purely a matter of loss, but certain positions of complete denial of this make it difficult to understand and analyze the complexity of old age. What must we do to recognize loss as an inherent reality in the process of becoming older, confirming the possibilities of growth and prosperity in old age? Continuing to quote, the social images of old women that we have do not illustrate the diversity of experiences, tastes, and options that they have developed in the course of their lives. We do not hear the voices of the incapacitated, of women who are inadequate, who think in different ways. We claim to display, to display models of aging in women that do not include piety, commiseration, ridicule, to know their day-to-day -day experiences and the complexity of their lives. The exclusion of elderly women from academic research, from the media, and cultural spaces of visibility and power is illustrative of the gerontophobia, phobia against older people, of our culture. And continuing to quote, one goal of critical gerontology would be to draw up feminist alternatives to the patriarchal invalidation of older women, offering them recognition, authority, and power, giving them space and voice, encouraging research appropriate to feminine reality that would permit the construction of positive enabling rituals of representation of old age. The complex and subtle life of elderly women would appear to be a wide field open to thinking and critical and reflective research in which their voices and experience are revealed to be essential tools. The objectives of such studies 
of the age of women should be to encourage the freedom of elderly women to choose their own lifestyle and the manner of aging that they prefer. End quote from that Spanish study. So, bottom line. Not much, much research has been done on the connection between how being a woman in society affects how we are as an aging woman. The only thing that is clear is that it does. Thanks for listening. Resources will be posted on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. Have a great week. You have been listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.